0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times along with Stan Jastrzewski, who's the news director at WFIU. And I will know that name really well after I work with Stan for a while. Um, we're going to talk today about the phenomenon known as peak oil and about other issues involved in the uh, oil oil business today in the oil industry. With us are Greg Travis, a member of Bloomington's Peak Oil Task Force and, and a professor of geological sciences at Indiana University, Jorgen Schieber. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Welcome to everybody. Thanks for, thanks for being here, Greg. Thanks for having us. You're good. Sure, no problem. All right. Stan, good to, good to work with you for the first time. Likewise. Right. Good to be here. It's going to be a, a long relationship, I'm sure. All right. Now let's, uh, let's talk about this issue of, of peak oil first. We talked a little bit about it before the, the show. Greg, you're on the, the peak oil task force for, for Bloomington. Why don't you define what that is?
1: Uh, it's a task force that was formed to kind of assess what Bloomington and Monroe County's vulnerabilities are. You know what 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 sectors of our economy and our community use oil. What do they use it for? And uh, who's most vulnerable if uh, the predictions uh, are, are true and that we're kind of uh, running out of this stuff. So. By finding out who's vulnerable, we find out uh, who we should kind of have a forward-looking look at and try to address before the problems become severe.
2: Okay,
0: and just a definition of peak oil, Jürgen.
2: Peak oil is a theoretical way of predicting when, basically, uh, we have used half of the available oil reserves, and if demand stays the same or increases at that point, then the amount of oil that we have available will go down and then the prices will shoot up and all this kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a theory that was figured out in the 50s or 60s, I think, by a fellow named King Hubbard, an oil geologist for Shell Oil. And uh, he accurately predicted the peak production in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so from that, people try to extrapolate to to, to the entire world nowadays and see if they can pick when peak production has occurred or when it will occur basically. Mm
1: -hmm. And I I, I would like to to amplify um, uh, the professor's remarks. Peak oil refers to the peak in production, not the peak in the amount of oil that's in the ground. It's the peak of production coming out of the ground being made available as a a commodity. Mm
0: -hmm. is the – and I'll, I'll ask – I get to ask a lot of the really uh, simple questions because that's my role here. But the, the, uh, the amount of oil in the ground is finite,
2: correct? The uh, amount of oil is finite to the degree that uh, we're using it up much faster than it gets re- regenerated. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: It, it took about 300 million years to make the oil we have. We'll use it up in about 200 years. Okay.
2: And just how close are we,
3: Doctor Schieber, in your mind to to reaching a a worldwide
2: peak oil uh, crisis, if you will? Um, see the, the the peak oil idea is predicated on knowing how much oil there is around, and we don't know that. Is there a better way than we have currently to figure it out? Uh, if you find a better way to pick lottery numbers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the mere fact is that large parts of the Earth's subsurface is actually unknown to us. Okay? I mean lots of oil fields that have come online in the last 10, 20 years were found in areas where people didn't really care looking for for two reasons. Either they had no clue about the geology of it or it was so far away that it wasn't worth it or it was so deep down that it wasn't worth it. With prices going up, you open up new areas that become potential exploration targets. And then in some of those, you find oil, and that increases your supply again. So if you look at, at, the, at the oil uh, production curves that – have been compiled by, by the United States Geological Survey. You'll see that, yeah, there's a real clear bump when North America peaked, or US peaked in production. And then it keeps going up, the supply curve, because that was an incentive to look for oil elsewhere. So instead of having a nice symmetrical curve, the curve has a little bump in it, then it keeps going up anyway.
3: So what we're saying basically is that now that gas is above $140 a barrel... No, not, and, not gas, oil. Well, okay. So your thank you. Oil is, is above $140 a barrel. The potential profit margin for digging perhaps deep beneath the sea mm-hmm. is exactly. all of a sudden there, correct?
2: But, exactly. Now you can theoretically look for oil that costs, let's say, $145 to take out of the ground. But... Until that oil comes online, you have to wait 20 or 30 years and because it we first have to find it and produce it.
1: And it won't drop the price below that because that's oil that isn't worth it until it's $140 a barrel to get. So the fact that you now have an incentive to bring it online doesn't mean the price will come down. It will stay at that
2: level
0: or it has,
2: it has to stay at that level. Otherwise, the whole project will shut down. Right. Exactly.
0: All right. We have a phone call already. Let's go to Fred on the phone. Fred? Yes, sir.
4: Uh, are there any plans
2: for oil expo- exploration here in uh, central Indiana? Well, uh, they, they do oil exploration in central Indiana. I mean, there's oil wells, on, primarily more, more like gas wells, but there is oil being produced in Indiana. But it's production that is very mature that has been going on for, for a century. And therefore, uh, we're not very likely to find a big elephant oil field here in Indiana. You know?
4: Okay. I know there's some down around Nora. But uh, also, what, what percentage does the landowner get per, say, per gallon, uh, for the for the oil?
2: Um, I don't know the exact figures. I mean, you basically you sign a lease with an oil company, and you negotiate a price. i heard it was
4: twelve to fifteen percent. I didn't know.
2: Yeah, I mean the the details about this, I would direct you to the. Indiana Geological Survey because they have some exact information for okay, you well, there. thank you sir mm-hmm.
0: all right thanks a lot for the call eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. Greg uh, did uh, well with your your involvement in, uh, in, in your study of peak oil and, and the issues what are some of the implications i mean if we if we hit this peak oil time. Um, Well, before I get into that,
1: I want to make uh, uh, something clear, which is that um, not all oil is the same. Uh, It's kind of like wine. You have a good quality wine. You have very low quality wine. Um, What we've been extracting so far is the good quality oil. What we're going after now is the very low quality oil. Um, The implications are that the the price will become uh, higher and that the supply will become, um, hopefully this won't happen, but I think it probably will, will become constricted. We'll actually run into shortages, and our economy
2: is hardwired to run on oil. You can draw your own conclusions to that. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you want to make a comparison, you look at uh, the per capita consumption of oil in the U.S. is about 70 barrels per person. Okay? It's per, un- year. per year. Yeah, per year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an unbelievable large number if you think about it. Surround yourself with 70 barrels of oil. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in China, it's, a, it's, it's about one barrel. No, so. it's five, so five. One to five, yeah.
1: yeah I, I think of it in terms of uh, per day. It's, um, we, we, the average person in the United States consumes about uh, 20 Coke cans full of oil uh, a day. The average person in China consumes but, but, about one. Let me, let me so. finish
2: what I was mm-hmm. trying to point out. Uh, in Europe, ab- the, the average European consumes about 30 barrels of oil per year.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I did – and, and if you look at the production numbers, if you, I mean Saudi Arabia produces about roughly 10 million barrels a day. Uh, Russia – something like eight and a half. The U.S. about – actually, Russia about 9.2 or something like this. And and, the U.S. about 8.5. The Americans are – North America is a – no, no, no. U.S. is is the third largest oil producer in the world. If you take the numbers, you can actually look at it and say, oh, if we lived at the same oil consumption as the average European does, which is not a lowering of lifestyle standards really, we would not have to import a single barrel of oil.
1: And, and that's, that's absolutely true. We, we, we consume a per, on a per capita basis about twice as much oil as any Western industrialized uh, nation. A large part of that, however, is due to the fact that we have physically ordered our society yeah, to require absolutely. that. Uh, reordering our society to get down to the, to the levels that even Western Europeans are doing uh, is an immense prospect. It's, it's, it's it, probably it, a 20 to 30-year program. And And in those 20 to 30 years, if supplies keep on falling ahead of our – rate of reordering, mm-hmm.
3: then we're in
2: trouble. Yeah, I mean, basically, that's why we actually needed that warning shot that we do something about it.
3: Mm-hmm. Greg, I'm interested. Uh, we have a, an emailer here who wants to know your stances on things like ethanol and biodiesel. And I, I'm curious to take that one more step. Do the productions of those two fuels or other sort of biomass technologies do anything to push the curve further forward in your mind into the future in terms of hitting peak oil?
1: Um, Ethanol is a farm subsidy program masquerading as an energy program. It takes about a gallon of diesel to make a gallon of ethanol. So you're actually burning two gallons for every gallon you burn. Uh, That is not a way, at least with corn ethanol, that is not going to do anything for our energy situation. Um, Biodiesel made from soy uh, is a little bit better of a picture, but even so, it's a problem of scale. People have to get an idea of just how much oil we're consuming and how much oil we could make from plant matter if we were to to, – to convert really? over to it, the I, I, calculation I use is we would need to have a, about six earth sized planets
3: covered in soybeans to replace the oil we get out of the ground right now so you're saying that it is not a long term solution is are there are there better a, solutions for for indiana's uh, ethanol plants, which are, which are among the most plentiful, certainly in the Midwest and, and indeed for, for great portions of the country, uh, are there better ways to, to run the machines in those plants that actually produce the ethanol? Are there cleaner burning ways? Are there more efficient ways? It, it's all, it all comes down to, uh, um, eventually to,
1: to bioproductivity. How much sunlight can we get on how many plants to produce how much oil? And that is an acreage problem. It's not an efficiency at the ethanol plant problem. It's a, it's a bioproductivity problem. Again, it took 300 million years to make the oil that we're burning right now, and we'll burn through that in 200 years.
0: All right. Our phone number is eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 877-285-9348, and noon at indiana.edu. I wanted to pursue this issue of, of Western Europeans um, using less than half of the oil that we do, 30 barrels uh, per capita, to seventy barrels per capita in the United States, and you you mentioned um, you know there wouldn't be much of a lifestyle a reduction in lifestyle if we would just reduce. I, mean, to I, 30 I lived barrels.
2: half of my life in Western Europe, and I don't think I have incre- improved my lifestyle by moving here. So but what it,
0: what did you dip- <laughs> do differently in Western Europe than well, than I mean, you for, see?
2: For for one thing, I mean uh, very few people drive Hummers. Okay. <laughs> Good and, point. And and secondly, I mean if you look at the fleet average of uh, American. Pa- uh, European passenger cars was a fleet average of North America. That's probably a factor of two in there, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And and then, of course, everything is closer together. People do not – I mean, I I know people that commute to Indianapolis to work there. They're burning a lot of gasoline right now to do this. Uh, Very few people in Germany would do that because everybody lives closer together. So you do not commute as far to your jobs. And then, of course, the one thing that has been sort of – Sometimes for, for decades, the laughing stock for Americans in, in Europe is that, oh, yeah, you, you, you subsidize all those railroads and stuff like this. Now they're coming in incredibly handy because you can use, move large quantities of people relatively cheaply. Mm-hmm. You know? right. And so people leave their car alone and, 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 and don't drive so much. Mm-hmm. And, right. and, and that's exactly the problem we have here. We don't have that infrastructure to fall back on. Mm-hmm. We have to build it.
0: What, what would be – you were talking about reordering uh, you know, society. What would be your top top – Issues. What would be the top things you'd do?
1: Well, um, uh, Jürgen points out exactly the problem that we have uh, in the United States. We have we have a suburban organization of our communities. We have a very distance-intensive uh, organization that requires a massive amount of transportation between work, uh, shopping, jobs, and all of the transportation. All of our transportation apples at this point are on. Uh, basically personal automobiles, and the oil issue is a transportation issue. Uh, Seventy percent of the oil we use goes to cars and trucks. So we have built a society which is entirely dependent on massive amounts of cheap liquid hydrocarbon energy. What happens when that society that we have built that is dependent on that no longer has access to that resource? Um, It collapses unless we do something very, very quickly. Uh, Dr. Robert Hirsch in the SAIC-Hirsch report said that if we had 20 years of warning before peak occurred, we could mitigate things. We could reorder things with little to no disruption in our society. If we had 10 years, we could go on a crash course. There would be some pain, but we would get through it on the other side. If we had zero years, we're in an almost incalculable amount of
0: trouble. And in your estimation, where are we? Uh, Peak happened in 2005. So we're an incalculable. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's
2: – vessels that happened in 2005, that's sort of – uh, I, I mean it's a debatable point because we do not know all the uh, part, uh, variables in the equation. I'm a betting man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean I have been uh, you know affiliated with people that actually try to find oil and so forth and they are not that pessimistic about it. They know where – I mean there's – discovered oil reserves that are on the books, basically... That cannot be exploited at current prices or that no, nobody is doing anything about it. But when the price is right, they will be exploited. So it's not a matter of whether we get enough oil to f- fuel that fleet of cars, but whether it is economically feasible to do so.
1: Right. And, and, and you, were, you were absolutely right earlier. We will never run out of oil. There will always be oil in the ground. There will be a lot of oil that is simply not worth it to go after. There will be a lot of oil that it takes more than a barrel of oil's worth of energy to exactly. get a barrel of yeah. oils out. We will leave behind massive amounts of oil that is simply not worth it to get out. I mean, just you, like when you, when you have a toothpaste tube, mm, you know, you're, the, the toothpaste tube that you, you use always has some toothpaste left when you throw it away because at some point it's just not
2: worth it to try anymore. If you could exploit an oil field as well as a toothpaste tube, we would be in good shape. Uh huh.
1: That's right. <laughs> you get about 90 percent recovery from a toothpaste tube. You get about 30 to 50 percent from an oil field.
0: 50 percent is very good. It's very good. All right. We have two calls on the phone. Milton is first. Milton?
5: Yes. Uh, One check to find out uh, if you have any idea of what percentage of the oil consumed daily uh, is used for uh, transportation as opposed to plastics, uh, pharmaceuticals, etc.
1: It's about 70% in, in the United States. And so, that's, that's, that's... so
5: you're saying that uh, if we were able to more, better economize the, uh, the use of fuel in our automobiles, then we would be in a better situation, right?
1: Yes, absolutely.
5: Okay, uh, are you familiar with uh, the work that was done by Tom Ogle and uh, uh, Charles Pogue? They were able to get over 100 miles to the gallon on heavy cars. This is something that needs to be explored. and Actually, it is being addressed right now, but uh, I'm sure you're not familiar with it.
3: Greg, you're shaking your head.
1: Uh, I I am familiar with it. It's uh, it's snake oil. Why do you say that? It's snake oil. Um, th- there are certain proposals that come along every now and then that, that violate uh, one of the three uh, basic laws of thermodynamics, and, and that's one of them.
5: Well, I, I can tell you right now it is not snake oil because I'm using it.
2: <laughs> well, in that case, you're a very lucky man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am
5: very, very, very lucky. But uh, you need to check out Tom Ogle. You need to check out Charles Nelson Pogue. And you can check their records in Winnipeg, Canada, and in El Paso, Texas. The the uh, newspaper will attest to the the fact that they were able to get over 100 miles to a hundred miles per gallon on heavy duty cars.
0: And and what are you using
3: in in your car? Gasoline. Uh-huh. What are there modifications you have made oh, yeah. to allow it to be this much more efficient? Oh yes. And they include?
5: Uh, water is currently being used. Electrolyzers.
0: Okay. All right. Well, we, I, I appreciate your call, Milton, and I think our. Panelists might want to react a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. Bye.
1: Well, well, we have a we have a a problem. Uh, we have a problem that we have a set of serial distractions that come along. That people say, well, we can do this to economize. Uh, we can find oil um, uh, that's coming from the center of the earth. Um, we can have any host of excuses that say that we are not going to have to face this problem. Uh, in the way that we would normally have to face this problem. And, and frankly, that's, that's one of them. Um, I've been hearing about um, oil-based, or I'm sorry, water-based um, additives for, for car engines that boost efficiencies well above any possible uh, thermodynamic Carnot efficiency for decades. And, 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 and they've never panned out. And for basic physical reasons, they never will. I mean,
2: if, if they ever had panned out, they would be commonly used nowadays. You know?
0: All right. We have another phone call. And it's uh, our old friend Adam. Adam? Hello. Hello, Adam. Hi, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good, today? Adam Ragusia. Hey, Adam. How are you doing, guys? Thank Good. you
6: very much for doing the program. Uh-huh. Long distance from Boston. That's right. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm Skyping you, by the way. Mm. But uh, <laughs> let me just posit, you know, for the sake of discussion, that uh, perhaps the the sprawling and automotive oriented built environment that America now has. Uh, it has become kind of more inexorable to the American way of life than the means by which it is fueled. And if you were to accept that, then wouldn't it be more reasonable co- to conclude that when the oil fields run dry, uh, Americans would be more likely to simply uh, you know, electrify their cars and build the nuclear power plants necessary to charge them rather than literally rebuild their entire country?
2: Response? No, that's, Juergen? Uh, it, it makes sense. I mean, that, that's... Uh, uh, even so, people are very apprehensive about nuclear power and, you know, what to do with the left. Yeah, but when the chips are down. Hmm? What? Yeah, but when the chips are down. Y- yes. No, but uh, the the conventional uh, power, nuclear power plants are not the only way to get nuclear power. I mean, the uh, way that produces less radioactive waste would be thorium reactors or something like this, which have been sort of on the ballot once in a while. But... I think uh, if you look at what could be done fastest to reduce our dependence on the oil, I mean conserving to, to build cars with smaller engines, and so forth, is probably the easiest way to do it. Yeah, if oh. if the American uh, fleet would go to European uh, miles per gallon, we wouldn't have this discussion at all.
1: Yeah, you're going to see a pretty rapid change out in the American fleet. It's actually happening much faster than I would have thought it would happen. Uh, We'll see things like the Chevy Volt come online. People Mm -hmm. will will convert. Uh, The the easiest and and really the best-known way that we know to – to uh, make a more fuel-efficient car is a smaller car. People don't like to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They want to drive their big SUVs. Uh, but we really don't know how to make a car more fuel-efficient other than the, mo- the, the most direct and most effective way, which is to make it smaller. Uh, we'll smaller, see sm- more right, will see, see. Yeah, we'll yeah. see smaller cars come out. Uh, we will see a big push towards towards uh, nuclear energy. Uh, that's, that's already happening right now. Uh, one of the big problems we have right there is that the United States has lost a lot of the industrial infrastructure necessary to make nuclear plants. We don't have the large casting capabilities anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we will have to outsource a lot of the critical components for that. Uh, we've also lost a lot of the engineering talent. We've lost the ability to even regulate the plants because the people who used to know how to regulate the plants have all retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's, a, that's, that's something that's coming. Uh, but it's a 20, 30-year 20, yes, proposition. Absolutely. Again, this, is, this, this will take time to ramp up at the same time that uh, oil production is ramping down relentlessly. It's, it's ramping down right now about 4 percent a year. Um, so we will have a crash course to build nuclear plants. Uh, the environmental issues will be, uh, for lack of a better term, brushed aside when people are faced <laughs> with not being able, able to get to work
2: anymore. Well, um, and then we will, we will see more things like well, electric not vehicles. Not necessarily brushed aside, but I think uh, in part of uh, – you know, when, 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 when times are good, people have this attitude, you can have a waste disposal but not in my backyard. And eventually somebody will have to say, okay, we have to accept this damn thing and live with it. We'll all have it in our backyards. So. <laughs> 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 all right, Steve. Hey, Adam, thanks for the call. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Have a good show.
0: All right, Adam. Thanks a lot.
3: Guys, I'm, I'm interested to know if you think there is a for-profit reason that the exons of the world or the fords of the world could come up with to, to either A, you know, realize that, that perhaps this is a problem and it should be dealt with. Uh, or, and, and then a subset of that would be, do we need to do things like produce more cars like the Chevy Volt that are working on alternative technologies? And, and is there a, uh, a, a dollar margin in there for those companies to address the problem, uh, make the environment more sustainable and make their business model more sustainable at the same time? I, th- I, thought, I thought you were going to go somewhere else. So um, uh, I'm glad you went the, the direction you went. Um, the,
1: the problem with companies uh, is that most of them are very, very poor at changing their business model. They have a way of making money that they understand. And even if it's patently obvious that that way is going away, they are almost um, unable to shift over. If you look at the, all the companies that made, for instance, uh, vacuum tubes, only one of them survived to make t- uh, transistors. They simply could not make the transition. Companies that made steam locomotives, uh, none of them. Survive to make diesel locomotives. They could not make the transition. It did not fit in their business model. Um, so there's a tremendous difficulty. I think the people who – the companies that will be dealing with this problem in the future are not the companies that we see today. They will be new companies. The ones that we see today will hold on to their business model as long as they can until they become extinct. It, again, it, it, the um, same thing was happening
2: uh, – um, In with respect to, to – uh, Oil companies. I'm not sure that you're right there because uh, several oil companies already have a growing business interests in, let's say, wind power, uh, solar power, and so forth, and they're expanding that because they know uh, th- their business is really selling energy. They don't care where it comes from. And at the same time, of course, it keeps the oil like real strong because it's going to make them a lot of money for a long time to come. You know. But if you look at at, at car companies and and you know having cars that have good mileage, I mean. You mentioned the Chevy Volt, which is still several years out. You can buy a car that does you 55 miles a gallon up in Indianapolis. It's a little bit small, you know. It's a smart car from it's made by Mercedes, basically, and they almost stopped the production because it couldn't sell the bloody thing. Yeah, well, a VW uh,
1: a VW Jetta uh, mm-hmm. diesel, which is a, not a small car. It's a yeah. it's a well, I guess it's it's whatever one size up from small is uh, is. Selling four years ago got 47 miles per gallon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, exactly. And they, they sold fairly well, but they actually stopped selling them for a while here. So. Yeah.
0: The smart car I know you can get in Indianapolis now. I know the the, uh, the waiting list for getting a smart car was about six months just recently. Yeah, well, you
2: know, it's, it's – uh, but it's, the thing is uh, I, I know that Mercedes almost decided to, to shut the plant down because even in Europe, they couldn't sell them mm-hmm. at a reasonable number. Right. But, I mean finally it seems to – the car was a little bit ahead of its time I guess. Yeah.
0: We have one call that we're going to get to before we take a break. John's next. John?
4: Yes. Uh, Jürgen, John here. I wondered if you could comment a little bit about how big oil and maybe big coal could come together and do some transportation fuels out of that uh, bituminous resource that we're sitting on top of.
2: Oh, you mean uh, oil shields?
1: Well, I was actually talking about coal. Coal, okay. I think he's talking coal
2: to liquids. Yeah. Coal
4: to liquids, yes. Where does coal to liquids fit in the, uh, the formula for transportation fuels in the domestic
2: uh, U.S.? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, if, if coal were liquid, it would be nice, but uh, the, the thing is that in order to, to liquefy coal, and, and the Germans did that in a in, in very big industrial scale during World War Two, but they could not produce enough to fuel their army basically to do to it. But it, It's doable, but it consumes a lot of energy to do all the chemical processing. So it's uh, there's an upfront charge against the coal to actually convert it into fuel. And so I'm, I'm not sure exactly about the economics right now. I mean, uh, South Africa did it during the boycotts for, during the apartheid era and so forth. But it is not quite economic at the moment.
1: Let, let me give a little data point there. Um, Indiana currently um, imports more energy in, the, in, the, in terms of net BTUs mm-hmm. in petroleum than we mine coal mm-hmm. uh, in, in a year. So if we were to replace... And nobody's talking about 100 percent replacement, but let's do that just for the sake of simplicity. If we were to replace 100 percent of the oil that we currently import into Indiana with coal turned to liquids and still maintain our production of coal, the coal that we do use right now for steam coal, for making electric uh, power, that kind of stuff, we would have to more than double the amount of coal that we're extracting out of of the ground in Indiana. That would reduce our coal reserves from, from about 70 years right now that we have right now down to about 35 if we could do it. And I don't think we could.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it's, it always takes a ramp-up time to do that. Yeah, I mean.
1: Again, it's, it's a problem of scale. People yeah. do not – it's very difficult to, to, to get your hands around just how much of this stuff that we're talking
0: about.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, John. Thanks a lot for the call. Uh, we're going to have to take a short break now. Our numbers, if you want to get in line, are eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. We'll be right back.
7: www.southdunnstreet.info WFIU thanks all who support Public Radio. Next time you're visiting one of our business supporters, please let them know that you appreciate their support of WFIU. Perhaps you're involved in decision-making at a business or profession in the WFIU listening area. If you'd like your message to reach WFIU listeners, you can find out more about benefits of underwriting, with a call to 1-800-662-3311 or a visit to our website at wfiu.org.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Stan Dostrubsky. Just, I'll get that, Stan. I'm so sorry. i
3: going to make you buy me a Coke every time you have to say my name I email. know it. I
0: know it. I, it's me. It's all me. Uh, we have two guests today, Greg Travis, a member of Bloomington's Peak Oil Task Force, and Jürgen Schieber, who is a professor of geological sciences at Indiana University. We're talking about peak oil and other issues involved with, with oil and energy. Uh, if you want to join us on the program, 855 or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight, or you can send your email to noon at indiana.edu. And we do have a phone call, so let's go to Don on the phone. Don?
4: Yes. Um, how would you go about getting someone to explore your place for oil?
2: How do you how do, how do you, it,
4: you contact if you want someone to explore your place, your uh, property,
2: for oil? Let, let's put it this way. If somebody thinks there's oil under your land, they will contact you. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay. That's absolutely I know true. I don't know how big of an area they've already covered in this area. I don't, I don't know of anybody that's been in. Uh,
2: oh, There's exploration going on in Indiana, but it's since Indiana is a very mature oil and gas province, a lot of the data that uh, companies need to evaluate this is already on the books.
4: What, do you, what, are, what are they used to... Uh, to find it. Do, they, is it, do they have to drill it down in the ground, or do they use some other
2: kind of a? Well, you mean that to get it out, you have to drill a hole. Yes. No, I mean
4: to to look for it. To look forward, to, to look, look for it,
2: you have to do a structural analysis. You have to. I mean, it's it's. I mean, a, a, a lecture on, on petroleum geology would take me a couple of months. So, but fundamentally, you have to f- figure out how the subsurface looks like and where there are likely places where there's traps for oil and so forth. And that information that you need to do this for Indiana, you go over to the geological survey and to the survey library and so forth, and you can get a lot of that. And a lot of the oil producing, oil producing companies have that information in their archives. Yep. So they, they put a geologist, okay, look at southeastern Indiana, see if you find any good prospects. And if they find one, then they come to you.
1: The, the, Thank you. This is a, it's a very mature um, uh, basin right now. It's been w- very well mapped out. Uh, you can find the maps that show where, where the oil has a high likely uh, probability of being there. And quite frankly, if uh, you take a, a, a drill... And you drill in one of those areas, I can almost guarantee you will uh, you will strike oil. Uh, you will not strike very much oil, but you will strike oil, and you'll be able to pull you know a barrel a day out, maybe if you're lucky, and at 140 bucks uh, a barrel, um, yeah, that but, could be. But the drilling as a hole costs you drilling a bit. drilling the hole costs you about 100,000. dollars <laughs> uh, so, uh, and and so, so it's a little bit of a gamble. Now 100,000 dollars if you get a well that produces two or three bar- barrels a day, that p- pays itself back in a year. Uh, mm. On the other hand, if you hit a dry hole, you're in a you're in a world of hurt.
3: So you said you're a betting man, right? I. <laughs> Well, <laughs> <laughs> not in that way. Guys, I want to play devil's advocate for a second. Um, let's assume that, uh, that we've, we've hit peak oil and that market forces will continue to do what they're doing and they will continue to drive the cost of a barrel of oil higher and higher and higher. Isn't Actually, it, nature does that, well, the market responds. So. Isn't, it, isn't it better in a certain regard to do nothing and let all this happen so, such that we eventually get into such a pickle as a society and as a market that we are we are forced to change because nobody can afford to drive even a Chevy Volt anymore?
2: I think uh, the, the pickle is already starting in my opinion. But uh, I mean at, 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 at the current energy consumption rates uh, and, and – and the current energy prices, the world economy is going to grind remarkably slower. I mean it's going to slow down probably by 20, 30 percent. And then the demand drops and the price will level out and come, even come down a bit. But, but will it
3: level out at a place where people can't afford it?
2: The, the thing is it, it, that's not so much a matter. But if, say, if, if it's really hurting the economy to have the stuff so expensive, people look for a replacement for alternatives – and yeah. That's when things will start picking up again. And the
1: only problem is we we don't we don't know of any replacement, and we don't have any well, uh, on, mean, the, so on we, the technological uh, uh, blackboards uh, that that has any any sign of any promise for the next 20, 20 years at a minimum. Um, that's something that that's another thing I I harp on. I mean, well, I, well, I, 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 hold hold on a second here. <laughs> I, I harp I harp on the issue of scale, and I harp on the fact that that oil, uh, particularly the liquid hydrocarbon form, the gaseous hydrocarbon. is a fuel unlike any other fuel that we have ever known before in particular in terms of its energy density its transportability Um, everything about it makes it literally manna from heaven. There is, it, it, there is nothing that is fungible, meaning easily replaceable with oil as a fuel. We are not going to run 747s on batteries. We are not going to run um, <laughs> ships on, um, on solar power, uh, except wind power, which is a form of solar power. Um, it, it is not something that you say, oh, well, we don't have oil anymore. We'll just use blah, blah, blah. You know, It is, just, it is not a fuel for which a substitute
2: exists. No, I mean, uh, uh, our biggest savior will be becoming much more efficient with it. For, that's true. For the next Con- decades, conser- conservation, conservation and, and really maxing out that fuel instead of waste, oh. blowing it up the right. chimney and stuff like this. Uh, but in those one or two decades that we still have, we can develop and reorganize society to function. Uh, there's a smaller supply of stuff stuff.
1: Right. Conservation is our largest, largest uh, oil field out there right uh, now.
2: Okay,
0: we're going to the phones now. Tim, go ahead, Tim.
6: Yes, hello there. Hi, Tim. Yeah, my name is Tim Ellison. I'm a physicist. I used to uh, work in the solar energy field, and I hear a lot of talk about um, nuclear on this program. Of course, I haven't heard everything that you've talked about. Um, but uh, I think... Um, In in my opinion, I think what we're going to see is uh, solar being the answer to our energy problems. In a single day, more energy comes to the Earth from the sun than the energy contained in all the known oil reserves in the world.
2: That's that's true, but converting that energy into something you can use is still more expensive than, like, so you're running a wind turbine or something like that.
6: Well, yes, wind, of course, is is uh, cost competitive today with uh, fossil fuels or very close to it, and it's the fastest growing uh, form of energy in the world. And that's not the fastest growing alternative energy, but there's more more wind power has been added. Uh, Uh, to generate electricity than any other form of of, um, uh, source of energy in the last year. And I think what you will see is, yes, uh, PV today is still more expensive than fossil fuels, but people have, um, there are companies out there that have real business plans to be cost competitive with fossil fuels in about two years.
2: Oh, let's go to here. You know,
6: for example, um, you know, just it's kind of interesting. You can look. You were talking about old companies and new companies. There's a solar cell company in Toledo called First Solar, and um, I'm pretty sure that that company is valued a lot more than the value of GM.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure my bank account is valued a lot more than GM right now. Um, uh, we should be very, very careful. All energy is solar energy. Uh, it all came from, to, this, to our planet at least, from the sun originally. The oil that we are burning right now is liquefied, stored solar energy. It was, it was caused from photosynthesis of, of plants and, and animal uh, activity 300 million years ago uh, that we're now burning up. Um, the wind is we have the wind because we have the sun. Uh, we have everything, all of our energy that we use right now is is either direct solar energy or some form of, of stored solar energy. Um, I think you're right. We will see more solar energy. I think that probably the biggest uh, promise that we have from a point of view of solar energy are probably large uh, desert-sided collectors um, fueling uh, liquid sodium uh, reactors that, that then generate electricity on a massive scale that we figure out a way to transport to the rest of the country where it's cold and dark. Um, but the the current problem with, with PV is, is again, it's, it's, it's area problems. We have, I think, in Indiana about an average of around 1,000 watts per square meter. Um, if you take the average household usage at, at uh, say, um, uh, 5 kilowatts on average uh, an hour and you try and figure out how big a, a rooftop you need to satisfy that it's, it's a pretty big rooftop
2: no, I, 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 I made such calculations for my house and how much it would cost me to build it and it was just unfeasible <laughs> Well,
6: it, it, it takes a few hundred square feet yeah. and, um, and of course as, as you're pointing out um, the, the first thing you want to do is conserve and make your home energy efficient and yeah. um, that there's plenty of people that are building cost-effective zero-energy homes that uh, employ solar.
0: All right. Tim, thanks. Okay. We really appreciate the call. All right, 855-0811, 877-285-9348 at noon at edu, We're starting to get lots of email. We also have another phone call. So let's uh, let's go to the phone again first. Dennis, go
7: ahead.
8: Hi. Uh, my question is, uh, since the problem is is so already so so bad, why can 't we get all the automotive companies and and make it a crisis and everybody works together and we get an engine that gets a reasonable amount of mileage per gallon and uh, you know where everyday people can kind of live their life and and still and still be productive
3: Are you asking these companies to admit that their industry is in crisis and watch their stock prices fall even further?
8: Well, that may be true. good luck with that. <laughs> But I mean, just to come together as a as, as an industry and uh, say, "Wow, we've got to do this." I mean, you know, we're running out of oil, or, uh, and you know, maybe you just, you you, lay, you don't totally disregard profit, but you say, "Well, maybe we can maybe we can all profit from this in the future because of uh, you know it just be uh, you're you're selling more cars because everybody could uh you know could could use them because the mileage is so good." I mean,
3: Well, and that gets to something I was thinking about as well Is you know, uh, Greg, I'm interested in in what you think first on things like hydrogen fuel cell cell technology as the future of powering automobiles. Um, I mean, I'm getting the impression from you that that you think that most of the ideas that are out there are just completely unfeasible. Uh, Is this among them? Uh, Well, most of the ideas uh, that I
1: I, I – let's put it that way, are, um, are dangerous because they're distractions. That's a, that, that is our biggest danger is that we become distracted by some magic bullet that we're sure will allow us to continue our lifestyle the way that we have right now with no change if only we do this and we waste time. Wasting time is our biggest enemy right now. Um, hyd- as regards to, to hydrogen, uh, hydrogen is a battery. It's not an energy source. There are no gigantic pools of liquid hydrogen lying uh, just a few feet below the surface of the earth waiting for us just to stick a straw and suck them out. We have to manufacture hydrogen. The question is how do we manufacture hydrogen? Right now we manufacture hydrogen by stripping it off of natural gas using steam, an entirely energy-intensive uh, uh, process that burns up fossil fuels. Makes no sense at all. We can, how, how else can we manufacture hydrogen? Well, we can do it with, um, with electrolysis, which means building a whole lot of new plants, and I think we're going to do it. Uh, we can also generate uh, directly from, from nuclear plants. Um, and the question is whether or not we as a society are going to be willing to do that. Uh, but again, hydrogen is not an energy source. There is no undisassociated un- hydrogen that's just lying out there waiting for us to put in our, in our tanks and burn it.
2: The other s- side of the coin is that if you manufacture hydrogen, you use up a lot of energy. It's much more efficient to take that electric energy that you would use to make hydrogen to stick it straight into the car and, and run it. Exactly.
1: Outside. That it makes no sense to make hydrogen from natural gas versus just taking that natural gas and putting it in the car and burning it there.
8: It is it not possible that that particulars aside like hydrogen, that we can't really foresee what could happen if people really came together and addressed this problem without distractions, with total attention and what could What could come about because of some uh, movement like that? Well,
1: right right now we have a raging debate about whether or not it's even happening. Right now we have $140 a barrel of oil. We have seven to eight years of relentless rise in oil prices. We have a production plateau that's been going on for five years. And still most of the world says, no, this can't possibly be happening. So we're not going to pay attention to it.
2: Well, the the thing what you're asking for is common sense. And that's even in shorter supplies in oil, you know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay well thank you Bob thank you guys okay thanks a lot Dennis alright eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight 855-0811-877-285-9348 and noon at indiana.edu
3: I'm wondering if this is sort of a, a cyclical problem you know we had the gas crunches of the 1970s and then at some point gas prices uh, Dr. Schieber as you said you know hit a plateau people mm-hmm. were, were less panicked about it and now we're talking about it again 30 years
2: later well, if, you, if you look at this graph here you know you see that this, this, this is 1970, this early 70s, and this is the Iraq-Iran War when it really spiked up to. That would make great
0: television. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and, I know. I'm dressed, I'm dressed for radio. Right. So. <laughs> the, the,
2: the thing is that
0: uh, it's a big spike. I want to tell the, you. These
2: these these previous spikes were not um, a matter of demand and supply because, but because of political it, upheaval. Exactly the the previous shortages
1: have, have all been almost to, to a uh, a one political uh, the current shortage that we're in is is geological
0: all right we have another phone call we've got a lot of phone calls we've got a lot of emails here we've got a lot of people who want to want to talk about this topic terry is on the line terry
9: Yes, uh, three points. Uh, I live off grid, uh, solar electric, wind power, have an 800 watt wind generator and 1.7 kilowatts of solar panels cost under $15,000. I bought that over a period of time. Uh, it, energy efficiency can be done on a home. I have all the normal things, uh, that a home would have. I, uh, oh, second point is that, uh, energy carrier that has the density of gasoline is Butanol It is a type of uh, alcohol that can be produced, uh, has been produced before. It has some technical difficulties in getting it produced, but it can be done. Point three is that um, the nuclear waste that is sitting in the pits by the, uh, the nuclear plants can be used to make hydrogen directly in a process called radiolysis. This can be also put in a closed-cycle fuel cell uh, where the fuel cell uh, is fed the hydrogen and oxygen from the disassociated water caused by the nuclear waste, uh, feeds the fuel cell. The fuel cell produces electricity and water. The water goes back down, passes over the nuclear waste, and it becomes water again. Uh, this is a system that was developed for Hubble Space Telescope.
3: You know, Terry, pretty soon we're going to need a new Secretary of Energy. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be I'm just star, saying. Starlight
9: Technology and the Andrew Projects Think Tank. We go through stuff daily on a fine, with a fine tooth comb. So, right. so there are there are potentials that you have to be acted on. And that's the difficult, uh, most people look at you and go, you're just crazy. (laughs) You know, no one wants to look and wonder how my house operates. I also recycle all my water and waste. I worked in closed ecological life support systems. I paralleled a NASA and designed stuff for Mars, but we're not going to Mars very soon. So we have a planet that's turning into somewhere between Mars and Venus. We need to fix that.
2: All right. Thanks, Terry. Just
9: wanted to throw those points in. Appreciate it.
2: Reaction? Well, the thing is that, uh, you know, there's definitely ways to to live off the grid. But, you know, I could probably afford it to to put a system together over a number of years. But a lot of people probably would not be able to or wouldn't have the necessary space to put it in and stuff like this. But the the other thing is that came to mind when we were talking about is that uh, we will in the future have – a much more distributed energy production system probably because, I mean, I uh, you know, could, for example, imagine septic tanks being being closed off airtight and use a methane to generate some electricity. There's an old uh, British sitcom which, where one guy went off the grid and he has a little generator. Into, basically, it's a little bit unrealistic because he can't poop as much to make <laughs> the methane to run. <laughs> but. <laughs> but fundamentally, I mean, in Germany, a lot of pig farmers and cattle farmers, they, they have actually their The animal waste goes into fermentation tanks and uh, my parents have a neighbor in in Germany who actually has a generator running that feeds into the grid from that stuff. So there's many opportunities to produce energy from a broad variety of sources to to help the bottom line. But fundamentally for for gasoline is still the most convenient fuel. That's Mm -hmm. a problem. All right, it, Greg. well, I mean, uh, all, all that's true, and, and,
1: and all the things that the caller said, uh, I, I don't disagree with it all. Uh, but what he's talking about is, is a lifestyle that is. Um, 100%, well, let's say 99.999% different from the lifestyle that, that that most of us lead, and it, it is he is talking about a fundamental reordering of society. Our current ordering of our society, our current ordering of our built environment is not amenable to what he was talking about. There aren't enough, you know, the, 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 the way that we have structured um, how we build things, what our neighborhoods look like, and even what, how we're going forward is not compatible with what he's talking about. So how do we get people's minds to change about what they're going to have to do if they want to continue to, frankly, survive, um, to change that and how much energy is it going to take to convert our our built environment. We have things going on right now that are 180 degrees opposite of what the caller mentioned, the kind of lifestyle they mentioned, things that are on government and uh, business planning books. Uh, We have a debate, for instance, going on right now. This is probably going to make Bob's eyes get as big as the moon, but uh, for instance, the talk of the move of the hospital. From a downtown energy uh, efficient location to a suburban greenfield, highly transportation, highly fuel dependent. That's the wrong way to be going. But yet we still seem to be going that way in the face of $140 barrel oil.
3: Greg, I'm interested to know uh, being on the peak oil task force, uh, you were just talking about people having to make a substantial change in their lifestyle if uh-huh. they really want to make an impact I'm curious what, what you and the other members of the PICO task force are doing to change your lives to, to – if anything, to make a point to people that this is what must be done. Uh, well, I personally have a, a carbon footprint that's about the size of France. Uh, so, <laughs> uh,
1: you know, I mean, people talk about Al Gore being, being, being a hypocrite. Um, I'm just glad they haven't taken a picture of my house yet. Um, that said, my house is about 150 years old. Uh, it, it was built before the petroleum age. Um, people then got by um, heating that house uh, without the – I use propane, which is derived half and half from from natural gas and and oil. Um, But I I, I personally, and I'm speaking for myself only, um, don't feel it necessary to use my lifestyle as a showcase for what people should be doing because I don't like – Preaching to people about what they should be doing. I don't like telling people this is this is how I live, so you got to live this way. Um, What I see my role as 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 a as a as a fake journalist, let's put it that way, um, is doing is 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 saying these are the trends that are coming up. These are the trends that are coming up. Here's some of the science and the the geology behind those trends and why they're likely to continue. Um, You need to be aware of how those trends might, might affect your life. And by the way, here are some things that are realistic and here are some stuff that people are out there that are selling that's snake oil. Uh, I hope you don't become distracted
3: by it. Trevor Burrus Do you believe that, that you and the other members of the group are without preaching? Uh, and I understand your, your point there. But is it worth it to to set an example for people? Well, again, I, I don't know how you set an example without
1: – for me, at least, it's hard to, to – Setting example without coming off as as being preachy or or uh, holier than thou, um, I I, I um, make most of my commutes, for instance, from from my home to town uh, on my bicycle uh, when I can. Uh, that is not a solution that 's going to be possible for for the vast majority of people out there. Um, I can tell them, however, you know hey, there are there are electric cars that are available, um, these school are the kinds bus. of things school yeah buses uh, whatever you know whatever there is that 's out there, and to try and make them aware, um, the biggest thing that I would do in preaching is is, is try and tell people that uh, that the price ain 't going down right four dollars ten a gallon. Uh, Next year, we'll look back at, as the good old days. And two years from now, we'll look back and, and wish that when it's $8 a gallon, that we could buy it for four. So it's and not going anywhere to, but up. But, uh,
2: and, and just to put it in perspective, if I were to get gasoline in Germany today, I would pay about 9 dollars 5 per gallon. Okay? So we are still very cheap.
0: I have an email I want to ask you about. It's about Bloomington government. Should, should Bloomington be spending tax money now for coin-operated rechargers at some parking spots to encourage electric cars and plug-in hybrids? Policy question.
2: Would you recommend that? Uh, I think Bloomington, the size this is, you should recharge your car at home.
0: Mm-hmm. Recharge your car at home. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. And the second part of the question is, uh, should we add to the cost of a beeline trail to design for Segways and electric golf carts?
2: I think, uh, personally, I don't think so. I think uh, if you want to use, a, use an electric golf cart and stuff like this, use it on the golf court. But these are not really vehicles to, for, for long distance transportation. Okay,
0: another email. Wood waste as an alternative for energy? Um, wood uh, waste?
2: Wood waste? Uh-huh. Scale, again.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> we, we don't have enough places to grow trees. Well, we, we already chopped all the trees in Indiana 100 years ago. Uh, so some of them will come back, but if we start using wood waste uh, for it, we'll chop them all down again.
0: Okay. There's a couple of these other emails I think are going to take us a little bit too long, but I do have one more phone call we want to get to. Donald, go ahead. And, Donald, we have about a minute to go.
7: Okay. The question is, where's conservation? On TV, it showed four waterfalls, which are using pumps in New York, which is way too. You go to Las Vegas, there's lights lit up. You go downtown Indianapolis, lights are lit up. It seems like the country does, want, does not want to conserve right now. I mean, that's that's about it. Thank you.
2: All right. Any last reaction? We have about a minute. Basically, it was a last-course question. Means if pain is big enough, it will happen, mm-hmm. Greg.
1: And, and that's the question about conservation: Are you do you want to do it voluntarily, or do you want to be forced to do it? Uh, I'd rather do, do it voluntarily, which means finding out the ways to do it
0: uh, to do it ahead of the curve, uh, as opposed to being behind it. Mm-hmm. All right, and we are out of time. I want to thank both of our guests, Greg Travis, and. And Jorgen Schieber, thank you both for being here today. Uh, Stan Justrupski, hey, thank there we you, go. Stan. <laughs> You're <laughs> getting welcome. better at it. Took me three times. Uh, I want to thank uh, our our help as always, the people that make the show possible: producers Ariana Prothero uh, and engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Thank you.
7: Noon Edition is a production of WFiu and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org.